Philippians chapter 4, beginning at verse 10. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours, according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Thus far the reading of God's word. It is a difficult thing to be content, isn't it? It's a difficult thing to be at rest, to be satisfied with where you are. There is a certain part of our nature that pushes us on to more and more things, to organize our house even better, to be even better at our job, to be even better with the schooling of our children, to have our church be better, to have our music be better, to have our spiritual life be better. But there's also, if we're honest, another kind of struggle with contentment that rears its head. It's the kind of struggle that says, My house really isn't big enough. I wish I had a car with a GPS built in. I wish I could take two weeks vacation instead of one. I wish what I had was just as nice as what my neighbor has. You see, there is a desire in us oftentimes, if we are not careful, to be discontent with the circumstances that God has given to us. The providence that he has showered upon us. And this is something that happens to us as individuals, and it's something that happens to churches. Churches become discontent with their ministry. They become envious of others. And so as we continue going through this seven-part mini-series on the nature of the church, we're at number six, how to be a content church. And Paul has good advice for us, as always. No, rather he has good commands for us to follow. He will tell us first what the nature of contentment is. What does it mean to be content? What's the nature of contentment? And then secondly, he will tell us what we really want to know, which is the secret of contentment. So when we look at the secret of contentment, everyone will take their pens out and wonder what is that secret that we can know it and live it. But Paul goes on to tell us not just what the nature of contentment is, not just what the secret of contentment is, 
but what the fruit of contentment is. When we are content, what fruit that bears in our lives and the lives of those around us. So let's begin then by looking at what the nature of contentment is at verse 10. Paul says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Paul begins to describe to the Philippians his gratefulness, how he has received this gift from them. And it is a gratefulness that is not simply born out of need. He goes out of his way to say that he is content with his circumstances. He was not whining and complaining in the back room. He was not thinking cross thoughts about them. No, rather what is happening is that Paul is content and he rejoices in what he sees the Philippians doing. He's using the end of this letter as a platform to impress contentment upon the Philippians. He knew it was an issue. You do as well. Look back with me if you would to verse 6 just before this passage. You remember he had to remind the Philippians and you and me not to be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. He knew the Philippians were anxious about some things. And later on in verse 19, he will attempt again to smooth that anxiety, to answer it with godly wisdom by saying, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in Christ Jesus. Paul understood this was an issue for the Philippians, but it's not unique to people living at Philippi. It's not just former veterans, former dealers of purple who get upset, who get discontent. It's all of us. It's in our nature. It's one of the reasons Paul strikes this theme throughout his letters. He says this in 1 Timothy 6, He says, now there is great gain in godliness with contentment. For we brought nothing into the world and cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. Paul describes the life of a Christian as one who is content with his circumstances. Now this is very important for the Christian to understand because the world does not know this kind of contentment. It actually rejects it. It revels in discontent. We live in a time and a place especially of discontent. We live in a place where the poverty level means I only have one flat screen TV, not two. I only have cable television, not dish. I only have one car, not two. I can only go out to eat twice a month not four times a month. We live in perhaps the most blessed time and place in all of history. It is very true that when you leave this place and you go home, even if you are in an apartment, even if you were in a mobile home, you would live better than 99% of all the people who have ever lived in history. You will turn on a faucet and water will come out. That was the stuff of kings You will turn a knob and air conditioning will come out or heat will come out. God has blessed us with a great abundance. And it seems that the world desires only to make us discontent with everything we have. There's an entire industry around encouraging us to be discontent. 
Look open, open a newspaper and look in it. Turn on the television. What you have isn't sufficient. You need new and improved. You need jumbo pack. You need the latest and greatest. We are constantly bombarded with images that let us know that we are foolish if we are content with the lot that God has given to us. And some even read that into this passage. There are some who listen to this passage and they believe that what Paul is doing is he's being a bit snide. That finally the Philippians are coming around to helping him. And they read it like this. Listen to this as you, your eye glances over the passage. Well, I'm glad that at long last, after waiting all this time, you finally decided to think about me. Of course, I realize you were meaning to do it. You just couldn't get around to it. I hope you understand, however, that I, I don't really need the money. My circumstances don't bother me at all. I've learned to handle all kinds of situations. Nevertheless, it's actually for your sake, of course, not mine. You're really the ones that profit by sending an offering. You see, it is possible if you take this passage, divorced of all of its context, divorced of the great love that Paul has for the Philippians, the great relationship that they have together, to see in this Paul's own discontent. But in reality, Paul is describing for us how contentment is ordained by God. It is something we are to strive for. There's a second thing about the nature of contentment that I think is very encouraging. And Paul describes it here in verse 11. He says, For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. It means that contentment is learned. Think about that. Contentment is not automatic. You do not become a Christian believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and then the next morning pop out of bed with a renewed vigor and say, I'm really happy that the pipes leak. This is just wonderful that I can't make my mortgage. It's not something that simply is innate to being a Christian. It's something that needs to be learned. And even a saint as great as Paul needed to learn contentment. Now, that should be a wonderful encouragement to you. Because if you're not content with your marriage, there's hope. Contentment is learned. If you're not content with your life, if you feel that life has passed you by and you haven't been able to get to the things that you wanted to, there is great hope. Because contentment is something to be learned. It is something to be acquired. It is not something we should automatically have. It is something we must work at. Contentment with our circumstances. Contentment with our relationships. Contentment with our church. We must learn it, even as Paul has learned it. And part of the reason that this is so is that contentment is other-centered. You might describe discipleship in the Christian faith as being more and more occupied with others and less and less with myself. Looking less and less to my own needs, wants, and troubles, and more and more to how to serve others around me. And contentment comes from that. You see, when our focus is on our circumstances, we are bound not to be content. Because our circumstances 
can change. They can fluctuate. They could be not what our expectation was. And so what Paul says is, whether it's that I am in need or whether it's that I am abounding, I can be content because my contentment is not dependent on my circumstances. We have a wonderful biblical example of this. If you have opportunity, read Genesis chapters 39 and following and look at the life of Joseph. Here was a man who had absolutely nothing. He's in jail, waiting to be executed after being unjustly convicted of something he didn't do. And he's content. And he gives God the glory. And then he's raised up to the throne, second in command of all of Egypt, the second wealthiest man in, and most powerful man in all of the known world. And he's content. And he gives God the glory because his contentment is found in God, not in prison, not in wealth, not in power, not in slavery. His contentment is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul says this much the same way. Look with me here at verse 12. He says, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. And what Paul actually says here is in everything and in all things. He uses the same word twice, once in the singular, once in the plural, because he's trying to give you as comprehensive a view as possible. He knows there is someone in the back pew or in the front pew ready to raise their hand and say, well, but Paul, have you thought about this? Could you be content if this happened? Paul says, yes. Well, wait a minute, Paul, what about if this happened? Yes, I could be content. Well, how can you, Paul? Because my focus isn't upon my circumstances. My focus is upon the Lord. You see, when the focus is not on ourselves, we can be content. Now, this is ironic. There's a bit of the irony missed here because you all don't read Greek. But I'll help you. The word for contentment is actually a philosophical word. It's a word that the Stoics used. And what it means is self-sufficient. And it was used to describe the state of being when you are not phased by anything around you. You are content. You are calm, like, like a lake at peace. Now, the irony here is the way the Stoics got to this contentment was by literally walking around and saying, well, I don't care. You know, your dog just died. I don't care. You know, your wife is sick. Well, I don't care. You know, you're going to go to prison. Well, I don't care. And literally, the philosophy said, if you walk around saying, I don't care, often enough, you'll believe it. And then you'll be content. Now, this is not Christian contentment. We are not taught to walk around saying, mouthing platitudes, saying, God's in control, God's in control. And what we mean is, I don't care. I don't have anything to do with it. No, the contentment that Paul is using here, he's actually stealing a word from the Stoics. What he means is we are self-sufficient, we are self-contained from all of our circumstances. But do you see the irony? Because the only way to be self-sufficient is to be totally dependent on Jesus. It's the only way you can be self-sufficient. You totally depend upon the Lord and then the circumstances fade out. 
It's only by looking to the Lord that you can be independent, content. You see, this focus here, taking a focus off of our circumstances, points us to the one who provides for us, the Lord himself. This focus is also a focus upon others. Paul is encouraging the Philippians to look to others, to look beyond themselves to find contentment. Well, this is the nature of contentment. It's being self-sufficient. It's being unmoved. It's being content in plenty and in want in all circumstances. So then the obvious question that comes to the Christian is, okay, well, how? Where do I sign up? I would love to be content. But that's not an easy task. Is this like the thing where Paul tells me to rejoice all the time? Because that was a hard one too. And the answer is yes, after a fashion. Look with me at verse 12. Paul says, In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of plenty, of facing plenty, and hunger, abundance, and need. Now, what Paul is saying here is that there is a secret to contentment. Now, some of the older translations use the word just, I have learned to be content. Both translations are correct, but this secret here has a certain connotation. This word, this verb, it's the only time it's used in all of the Bible. And it is a word that is used to describe how someone goes up the ladder of a mystery religion a religion that is full of secrets, secret handshakes, secret oaths, secret clothing, and you work your way up the levels till you get to the top of the pyramid. And what this verb means is, I have learned the secret. I have gotten to the next level. And what Paul does is he steals this word away from paganism, and he uses it for the Christian. He says, I have learned the secret. And you see, the secret is not something that is hard to find out. It is the key. And the key to being content is this. It is first understanding the providence of God. Understanding God's providences. It's understanding first that being content begins with being discontent. You see, that doesn't make much sense. How can I get contentment by being discontent? It begins by being discontented with everything that is around you. With not seeking to find an answer to the cry of your heart in children, in a job, in money, in knowledge. It is finding contentment in the Lord. It is finding contentment by knowing that nothing else at all will ever satisfy. Augustine put it this way. He said, each of us have a God-shaped hole that nothing else will fit in. Nothing else will satisfy. And perhaps you have tried to satisfy it with something else. It could be drugs or alcohol. It could be public service. It could be money. It could be a sense of security. It could be family. Perhaps you have tried as hard as you can to take anything you could and put it in that hole to satisfy, to find contentment. But you see, Paul says you will not find it there. 
And so the great blessing is that if you are right now discontent, if you are discontent with your life, if you want to have a greater spirituality to your life, if you want your children to know the Lord Jesus Christ on a deeper and more real level, if you want to know your scriptures on a more fundamental, more insightful level, then God has you exactly where he wants you. He wants you to only find contentment and rest in him. He doesn't want you to be distracted by everything around you. You see, the world wants you to sit on your couch and be satisfied with the TV dinner and the remote control. And God says, no, that's not the life I've planned for you. You should see that that's empty. You should see that that's not the worth that I have for you. And he points us on to see that he has given to us his providence, what he is doing in the midst of our lives. It begins by understanding God's providence, but it moves beyond there. You see, we don't just understand God's providence. We must also trust in God's providence. We can only find contentment when we trust in God. The author of Hebrews puts it this way. Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Is that your contentment? When everything else is flying around you at 100 miles an hour, is your lodestone, is your magnetic north, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You see, that's what God wants you to be content with. He wants his providence to you to be real, to be an expression of his relationship with you. That's why Paul says, I can do all things. I can do all things through Christ, through him who strengthens me. Now, what Paul does not mean here is the absurd. I can say as often as I want, through Christ, I can win the Olympic weightlifting championship. And it will not happen even if I begin training now for the Rio games, it will not happen. But that's not what Paul means here. What Paul means is everything that God asks me to do, every task that God puts in front of me, every relationship that God has me in, I can handle because of the power of God. You see, when Paul describes Jesus here, he describes him in a very vivid way. He says, I can do all things through the one who is the empowerer, who is the strengthener. It is Jesus Christ who empowers us. We are empowered by being in Christ and no other way. That is how we can face down everything that comes before us. Paul puts it this way in 2 Corinthians 12. For the sake of Christ, then. I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. Not exactly what you would put down as a good day. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You see, because it is only in Christ that we can be strong. And Paul points us to this. That is where we find true meaning. That is where we find true contentment. So the secret to contentment is not found 
in something of this earth. There are dozens of bestsellers that will tell you that. Self-actualization. Better finances. Better rules for your family. Better education. But that is not the secret to a content life. To have a content life, you must believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You must trust in Him alone, not merely for your salvation, but also for every day of the life that He has given to you. That's how you live, daily depending on Jesus. And so if we learned this secret of contentment, where does this take us? It takes us then next to the fruit of contentment. We learn what it means to be content, and now we see the fruit that it bears in our lives. Why would we want to be content? Some of you say, well, you know, I'm not a person that sits still. I'm always going here and there. I don't want to be content with my life. I want to be pushed on to bigger and better things. Contentment is not sitting down and doing nothing. Contentment is about resting in God and seizing wonderful opportunities that he places in our path. You see, the first fruit of contentment is freedom. It is complete and utter freedom. Freedom first from worry. Do you see what Paul says here about the Philippians? He says, it was kind of you to share my trouble. This word for share here, we've seen it before. It's be in partnership with me. Be in fellowship with me in my trouble. And we might even translate the word trouble, affliction, persecution, misery. You see, Paul says, it's been kind of you to do this. And the reason that they can do it is because they have known the contentment of God. And it frees them up from worrying. They don't have to worry about the troubles that are to come. They simply face them head on, sure in the providence of God. So the question then comes to you, do you struggle daily with worry? Parents? Moms? Do you worry about your kids? Do you worry about them getting sick? Do you worry about how you're going to pay for college? Do you worry about who they're going to marry? You see, contentment from God frees you up. Not so that you say, well, I don't really care what happens to my kids. No, it frees you up so that you are active, so that you take charge, so that you're praying for your children, so that you are working hard to give your children the blessing of God's word. You see, that is what contentment does. It frees us up from worry and enables us to have action. This is real freedom. It also provides for us freedom to be a blessing to others. You see, because when we are not worried about what will happen to us, it opens up our ability to minister to others. Notice again what Paul says about this wonderful church at Philippi. He says, You know yourselves that in the beginning of the gospel, that is, when I first brought the gospel, at the very start of my preaching tour, at the very beginning of the church planting, When I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Now, you need to understand this by way of contrast. Philippi was a small church, a relatively poor church, 
disproportionately, at least from what we get from the scriptures, female. They financed Paul's church planting missions throughout Thessalonica. In contrast, Corinth was a rich, wealthy church. They had it all together. And Paul had to say to Corinth, you know, I really wish I didn't have to almost shame you into giving. You're making me rob other churches to support my work here amongst you. You can't even support the work that's going on in your church. Do you see what happens here? The Corinthians were obsessed with themselves. They were obsessed with what they could do, and the Philippians had given that up. They had known contentment. They're being pushed on to more by Paul, but they had partnered with Paul from the beginning, and they became a poor church that did great things. Because, you see, contentment allows us to be sacrificial in our giving. That doesn't just apply to money. Contentment with our lot allows us to be sacrificial with our time, to be sacrificial with our patience, to be sacrificial with our relationships, to go outside of ourselves and think of others and to come alongside them. And this is what a content church does. It cannot stay within itself. It is free to go out into the hills and the valleys and to compel those whom the Lord has called to come in. Because there's no risk. It's all in God's providence. God's in control. I'm content with what He will do. It allows us to be sacrificial in our giving. A second fruit of contentment is growth. It is closely related to this freedom and freedom to give. Look at verse 17. Not that I seek the gift, Paul says, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Now, Again, Paul is not being rude here. He's not saying, you know, I really didn't need this, so you shouldn't have bothered to send it. You know, there is this tension. Any one, especially kids, have you ever written a thank you letter or card? You know, moms, you had a birthday and moms got them all, laid them out, and you, you have to write, Dear Aunt Julie, thank you so much for the Transformers, period. I play with them every day, period, right? You have to write this thank you card, and you have to figure out a way to say thank you for what was given or if it was money, what you used the money for, and to show that you are appreciative and it's being used, right? And sometimes that could be hard. You know, dear Uncle Joe, thank you for the oversized puppy dog sweater. I live in Houston, and it's 90 every day, but I'll try and wear it in January. Right? You know, sometimes you get things like that. It's really kind of hard to say thanks for. But see, what Paul is doing here is he is trying to describe for the Philippians that he does not need them to keep sending him money. It's not the kind of thank you card that you get from someone that says, thank you for sending the gift. By the way, could you do that again next week? Right? You've seen those. Someone trying to raise support. Paul wants to be very clear that what he is grateful for in the giving is not the fact that he can be supported. No, what he is thankful for is the spiritual growth that is going on in the Philippians. 
He's thankful for the fruit that increases to their credit. And Paul is using a play on words here. He's using accounting language. He might say the dividend that accrues to your account. But what he means here is the spiritual growth that occurs in you because of your pursuit of contentment and selflessness. And that's what's happening. And he makes it very clear by describing what this gift means. Look at verse 18. It is a gift that came from Epaphroditus, and it is a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. He says this is looks well. It looks sweet in God's eyes, and it smells fragrant in his nose. It is something that you have done that you have done well. And you see, the reason for this is not because they gave him 30 drachma instead of 25 drachma, the equivalent of our dollars, but it's because they're growing in Christ through their giving. They're seeing that they need to be content. They're pushing upward and onward to more and more service to God. And this is a very significant way to describe this. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Ephesians. It's back just one book, probably just three or four pages, to chapter 5. Where Paul writes this in verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Does that sound familiar? If it doesn't, keep your finger there and turn back over to where we were and see how Paul describes a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. It's the same words. You see, what Paul is saying here is that this kind of growth is growth in Christ. It's not just growth in service. It's in being like Jesus. To show contentment is being like the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, we've seen that there's a fruit of freedom. There's a fruit of growth. And then lastly, there is a fruit of blessing that comes upon us in being content. You see, Paul is at the place where he can truly say, I can't ask for anything else. Now, does that mean that He couldn't have had an extra steak dinner with a little bit higher amount of money put in the offering plate? No. Remember, Paul is living chained to a Roman prisoner, to a Roman guard, excuse me. He is a prisoner in jail. And being a prisoner in a Roman jail was not like being in an American jail. In an American jail, they feed you. Maybe not well, but they feed you. They clothe you. Again, maybe not well, but they clothe you. The heat and the light comes off and on. Maybe not all the time, but generally. When you were put in a Roman prison, you had to provide the pay for your jailer, your own food, and your own clothing. You were responsible for bearing all of the costs of your own imprisonment. And so you can see Paul here has a need. But what Paul is saying here is, what you have given to me expresses the love of Christ so much that I couldn't ask for anything else. And he uses a very interesting turn of phrase. He says here in verse 18, I have received full payment. 
How many of you have ever had the, well, some of you perhaps have had the great blessing of paying off a mortgage or maybe paying off a car loan. And you take it down to the bank and they get out the red ink pad and the stamp and they roll the stamp over and they stamp it. Paid in full. Right? That's what Paul's saying here. He's saying, I'm paid in full. I don't need anything else because I am seeing the blessing that God has showered down on me and on you. And he says, even if I were to lose anything, there is always the reassurance that God will supply, verse 19, every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say every want. He says every need. This is the fruit of contentment. It gives us freedom to be a blessing to others. It showers growth in our own life. And it gives a blessing to others and to ourselves. Do you want to know this kind of contentment? You can only know it by knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. You can't find it in manipulating your circumstances. You can't find it in a sudden windfall. You can only find it in a person, in a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. That is where the winter of our discontent, if you'll forgive me, ends. It ends in the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. 